We're here to share with you inspiring stories that bring to life all the little and big ways that people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is the hunt for those little moments that refuel the human soul and reminds us what life is really all about. I invite you to sit back, enjoy the moments, enjoy the stories, the adventures, and the journeys. to another episode of What the World Needs More of. My name is Jarek Robbins. I am your host on this journey of the soul. Today we have a special guest that I met on Instagram because I observed all the awesomeness she was up to in her profile and I reached out and asked her if she'd be willing to jump on and share a little bit about her life, her story, her journey, uh, and what makes her her. Uh, so Caroline Pugh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We are thrilled. We're going to dive into the question of the show, which is what do you believe the world needs more of? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, and I really think it's authentic connection. Hmm. You know, now living in this world where connections oftentimes nowadays seem so transactional. <laughs> and I think the exchanges that happen, it's kind of like either a like for like type of conversation or it, it's just very like, if you do something for me, then I'll do something for you. And I think I would really love for people to start thinking about what would happen if you just, number one, listened to the other people across the room from you, and especially to those that are very, very different from you and have amazing stories that you may not even realize because you're just seeing it for the surface. But then also thinking about what happens if you were the one who were the connector of dots, kind of the connective tissue between relationships where you're not necessarily asking for things from that other person or vice versa, but thinking yourself as the catalyst in which other people in your own networks and circles that may have never been connected before can be connected. I love that. I love that. Now, how do you bring that more into life each day? <laughs> yeah, I feel like my, my journey and story has kind of weaved in and out a lot. Uh, I first started off being a tech entrepreneur. And so my way of connecting back then was uh, really scaling up through technology. I thought that uh, by having a startup and an idea that I could bring people together and bring ideas together uh, and scale up an idea that I was really passionate about, uh, through technology in a way that could reach all sorts of different types of people. Uh, so I did that for about three and a half years, and that was a beautiful journey and a beautiful process in learning how to build a team, uh, especially as a young female entrepreneur. I was 19 years old when I first started my company. Uh, and so to really be able to position myself uh, in a place where I could go in front of investors who are oftentimes five times my age, <laughs> you know, white male guys, trying to pitch a tech idea, you know, I wasn't taken so seriously in the very beginning. Um, but I really, I think during that time, it forced me to understand what storytelling meant uh, in my own perspective and how I could bring across my passions in a way that other people could relate to. So that was a beautiful experience. And uh, most recently, I got really into just creative storytelling. 
Uh, and, I, and I think I've always had this curiosity of understanding people who are far different than I am. Uh, and I live in Washington, D.C. now, and I feel like there's this emerging creative economy that's happening here where there's, uh, for example, 48 different music and art venues uh, just within the D.C. Uh, city alone. And a lot of people don't realize that. People just look at D.C. as kind of this politics town and, and just look at it for the White House. And uh, the more time that I spent here, I realized that there's all these amazing artists and creative people who are actually the lifeblood of the city. Uh, and so I started this interview series where I just started picking on different people that I thought were really, really interesting. And I started interviewing them and uh, uncovered a lot of amazing stories along the way that I'd love to uh, share with you. How cool. Yeah, I'd love to hear some. We're, I, I have a second question. I'm, I'm going to circle yeah. back to this question because I do want to hear some of those stories. Um, yeah. what would you consider? So 19 years old, you're building a team, you're pitching these ancient old guys who apparently had the money to decide <laughs> who wins and who doesn't in the tech world at that point in history. Um, yeah. you, you're connecting to people, you're listening, you're, you're helping evolve stories from people, so much going on. What would you say is your wow factor? What makes you uniquely you? And what are some of the moments that help shape it over the years? Um, you know, I would say something that I would hear over and over again from people who were kind of observing either what I was doing or the work that I was doing was that people were like, you know, you just kind of do it. <laughs> and I think people observed that I had this attitude of just kind of risking it all and not really looking back and just having this mentality of, uh, you know, what if it doesn't work out, everything's going to be okay. And I feel like you know, a lot of people have this mentality that if something doesn't work out or if something's a failure or they go down this path and uh, it, it isn't what they end up thinking it was going to be, then it was all for nothing. Mm. And I just feel like for anybody, especially people like us, who have such an amazing platform and are so lucky. I mean, even just to be in the United States and to have an education, you already have more than what 99% of the world has, right? And so I think if you're already in that situation, then you are in a position to really just dive in deep and follow your passions and figure out what makes you tick and what makes you want to risk it all. Because, you know, if you didn't, then it'd be just a pure shame. And so I think uh, that was something I always just had from the beginning. And I don't know specifically where it came from, but um, I, I love that about life, and I love that about every single day. I feel like you have to find something that you're just willing to kind of be a little bit uh, of a risk taker on <laughs> to see what happens. And, you know, I think all of us as human beings, we, we need forward momentum. We need this thing that, uh, you know, makes us realize that we're charging ahead and that we're uh, really progressing with the things that we thought maybe we would never be able to progress on. And so I think having that mentality has always been something I, I uh, admired about others where I see it and as well as admiring about myself. I love that. I had a friend one time look at me straight in the eyes and say, you know what, you know who you remind me of? And I was like, no. Yeah. And my mind's like Superman, Iron Man. Like, what are we thinking here? And, and he looked at me, he's like Forrest Gump. <laughs> and I remember being like, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> right. The, uh, the right. movie scene started playing in my head. I was like, whoop part of that movie reminds you of me <laughs> yeah yeah like he was a good man but he went through some stuff in life 
And right. and, and he right. came down, he says, no, the concept that someone's like, hey, Forrest, run. And he's like, okay. He doesn't question it. He doesn't think about it. He just takes off. Exactly. And, yeah. and he's like, that's really special, man. Like, you know, a couple of days ago, someone's like, you should start a business. You're like, okay. And three days later, you actually had a business up and running. Like, how did you do that? Like, you didn't think about it. You didn't right. question it. You just went, okay, and right. went running. And he's like, that. Right. it was a compliment. Interesting compliment, but it was a compliment. Um, right. And I think there's something special about what you're saying here. And I think that is a wow factor, especially nowadays, because there's so many ways you can talk yourself out of something. I mean, you can Google right. it and look at all the stats of people who fail. You can read that 98% of businesses don't make it past the first five years, or, or I'm sorry, 95 plus five years, 98 yeah. plus 10 years. Yeah. Like, you can come up with every stat and statistic that says the odds aren't in your favor and, and just be like, eh, screw, screw it then. Or Yeah, and I think, you know what? People get really tied up with sunk costs. Yeah. People say, well, I already went to the law school and I already spent all this money that I have to become a lawyer, even though you don't really want to be. And it's like, we need to just get away from the idea of sunk costs because this is your life. You know, this is your everyday being as a person. And so uh, if you're not spending the time how you really want to be spending it, then throw some cost out the window, you know? <laughs> so smart. So smart. That's, that's hard. I, I, I yeah. you know, my spare time, which I don't have a ton of, uh, I, I like helping people and I chat with right now. The theme seems to be uh, 12th graders in India on Instagram and they keep hitting me up and asking me random questions and I just keep helping them and answering as many as I can. And, and that exact theory and thought comes true so often. They're like, no, my dad wants me to be an engineer. Uh, my mom yeah. wants me to go to this, you know, be a doctor. They're sending me to school. They already said they're paying for it. And, you know, I don't have a choice. Mm. That's just what I have to do. Right. And it's such an interesting thought Yeah, process. you know, it's so funny. It's so funny in society where on an everyday basis, I think people do have this kind of wall up where they say there's so many obstacles. There's so many things that are telling me not to do this one thing. But then when you look at and have conversations with people and they just start describing who their heroes are, mm. those heroes tend to be people who did the exact opposite and had the exact opposite mentality where they pushed every single boundary they came across and they had every single thing that was against them, but they pushed through it. And uh, it's something that I struggle with because I have conversations with my friends all the time where they're describing some of their role models and some of their heroes. And I'm like, oh, but you could be that person. Just think about all the things that they went through. And uh, I feel like for me, having really strong mentors from the very beginning were the exact people that pulled me out of those situations myself where you just start thinking, oh, I can't do this. This is not for me. I'm not going to be able to you know, go anywhere. And it, I think having those types of people and having active conversations with those types of people really make all the difference and uh, can push you to the next level. Absolutely. Random side question. Yeah. What are some qualities you looked for in a great mentor that helped you along your journey? I would say the number one thing is, you know, you can have cheerleaders all day long. And I feel like parents in a lot of ways serve that purpose and saying, you're doing such a great job. <laughs> Just keep doing what you're doing. But I think having a mentor needs to be, they need to be as much of a cheerleader as they are kind of a critiquer mm. in really trying to understand some ways that you can improve and not necessarily being super negative, but just saying, you know, I've been down that process and I know what the rabbit holes look like. Uh, what, if, what if you try something like this? And I think someone who can really start stretching your boundaries for what's good and what's bad 
and someone who's had the experience of knowing how to see a fire before some, something happens uh, is always a good mentor to have. Mm. I like it. I agree. Very much so. Yeah. Here's a question. What's a moment that made you feel incredibly humble over the years? So uh, I've been lucky enough to live in five different countries. And nice. so uh, I was born in South Korea. My mother's Korean and my dad is British. And then we traveled all over the world after that. So we moved to uh, Taiwan, Germany, South Africa, and then to the U.S. And I think by living in all of those countries and really understanding how people live in each one of those countries from a very young age allowed for me to not only be really open-minded about cultures and the way that people communicate, about the way that people are motivated, uh, but also just be really open about how I communicate uh, and how I accept people into my lives. And I think uh, travel is probably one of the best things to really do uh, to be able to understand other people. And it's made me such a better person. And so, uh, yeah, I, I feel super, super lucky to have been able to witness so many different types of cultures over the years. It's so true. And a stat you mentioned earlier, you know, if, if you're in, uh, you know, the U.S. Or, or some of these countries and even if you're in the worst position possible, you're, you're still part of the 1% of the world. Um, it, it's crazy. If you're able to go buy a Starbucks each day, uh, you, that Starbucks right. costs more than what I think over half the world lives on or three quarters of the world lives on each day. It, it's in the U.S. Yeah. It's, it's bananas. I, I used to live in a village in Uganda, and it, it changes your entire perspective of life, having the ability to travel and, and see, and, and yeah. more than see, but experience how people live. I think a homestay yeah. in Thailand was something that changed my whole perspective because it was one thing yeah. to kind of like take a trip and see the pretty places and look out the window of the bus and go, wow, that's interesting. And it's another thing mm -hmm. to get invited to live in someone's home where mm -hmm. you realize what it's actually like um, and you get to yeah. sleep sleep on the mat on the ground and, and you know they give you a, a bucket and they fill it with water and say go ahead and you walk outside and learn how to give yourself a sponge bath <laughs> yeah. like, like yeah. uh, no toilets no running water no electricity like the village life there, there's something special about that because you come back and, yeah. and humble in a different way and and yeah you know, or you know if, if the shanty towns in South Africa were something that, that yeah. blew my mind and, and looking up the hill yeah. and seeing these giant houses in, in Cape Town and then looking at the bottom of the hill and seeing people live in these yeah. little tin homes that they created for themselves and they're still happy. They're still beautiful. It's just, it, it is humbling. Yeah. What a beautiful piece. What about a moment that left yeah. you in a state of awe? I think talking to people. <laughs> I'll tell you one story that I recently had and I think this was truly one of the most awful moments <laughs> in my life, which was talking to this man, uh, Charlie Bolden. And he was the last director of NASA. And uh, he was also a former astronaut. And so he was on the Columbia missions, the Discovery mission. He helped put the Hubble telescope into space. And I just cold emailed him and I said, I really want to understand how you did what you did as a person and how you experienced all those things at a very young age. Because he was one of the first uh, African-American astronaut. He was the first African-American director of NASA. He was appointed by Obama in 2008. And, you know, clearly he was someone that had been through so many obstacles of his own, but yet was so successful in the end and now is able to share his story all around the world. And so, uh, you know, I reached out to him and he was like, yeah, let's have dinner. I'm going to invite my daughter too. 
He's like, I think he's really like my daughter. And the fact that he automatically CC'd half his family on the email thread, I mean, he CC'd his wife, uh, you know, just told so much about the character that he has and just what he wants to share with the world. And so we started talking at dinner and he's telling me about his experience of how he first got into space. And he actually started off as a pilot in the Navy. And he was turned down over and over again for his, the color of his skin. And he, but he knew he really wanted to do it. And he always had this fantasy growing up of being a pilot. You know, whenever anybody would ask him, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? You'd always say, I want to be a pilot. <laughs> and people would always tell him that he couldn't be one because of his skin. Um, and so he ended up becoming this pilot in the Navy. He was one of the best ones. And everybody said, you know, you should apply to be an astronaut. And NASA has this kind of casting call every year where they have this call for astronauts. He's like, no, no, I can't do that. I don't know if I can do that. I barely made it as a pilot. <laughs> um, and so he finally applied to the pressure of his friends, and he got it. And he started training, and he's describing this experience of the three months training before they actually go into the first flight that he had ever been on. And, you know, they go through all the simulations, and they go through all the scenarios of, you know, something goes wrong, and they're just mentally and physically preparing you for everything. Um, and, he, and he was like, I barely saw my friends and my family during this time. And it was such an exciting time because in a lot of ways, he was saying that this, this moment felt like it was his supreme destiny. Like, I really believe that everybody has a supreme destiny in life, whether or not they realize it or know exactly what it is during the course of their lifetime. But I think when it happens, you know exactly what it is. Um, and so he was describing this moment to me as like me going to space is my supreme destiny. And this was the moment. <laughs> and so he starts describing to me the day that they go into space. And so they go into the aircraft and he's sitting there and they start hearing the rumbling of the engine and it's so real. And what happens is it kind of tips back. Uh, and he was like, yeah, it takes seven and a half minutes to actually get into space, get into orbit. And uh, within the first three minutes, you know, they're flying out and all these alarms start going off. And it was the engine failure alarm. And everybody's scrambling. It's seven of them inside and they're all scrambling because they know that if they aren't able to fix it soon, that uh, they probably won't be able to make it home. And so now it's like minute four or five, all the alarms are off. And they finally get to kind of breathe and sit back. And he starts looking out the window. It's his first time looking out the window. And he sees the earth. And the first thing that he sees on the earth is this giant island. And he's telling me that he realized that the giant island was the continent of Africa. And he was like, man, I just started tearing up. I just started crying because this was the moment to me where it wasn't everything that I had trained for. It wasn't everything that I'd ever dreamed for. Uh, and, I, and I knew that I felt like I was going to be a representative of the United States in that moment. But he was like, in that moment, I felt like I was a representative of our Earth because he really saw it for what it was. And he said the thing that he will always remember and never forget about that specific image is that there's no division lines. You know, you see the earth for what it is, and there's no lines or divisions. And he was like, that, that's the way that the world is supposed to be. Um, and, and that 
that story that he told me and how he went through that whole process and how he achieved that dream. And then when he achieved it, it was a hundred times more powerful than he could ever imagine. I mean, that, that moment for him was almost 40 years ago and still telling that story over again, he was getting emotional and you could tell that his, it was also emotional for his daughter and, and uh, you know, just the moment in general. And, it, and so it stuck with me in the fact that, you know, you can have those moments, <laughs> you can have those dreams and they will absolutely come true if sometimes you push yourself in the right uh, direction in, in first step, which for him was being that pilot and then kind of having that support network and those people who are not only your cheerleaders, but also people who will critique you and say, no, you can't actually do this, uh, will get you to that, to that level. And so uh, I, I will always remember that story and I always think about that whenever I feel like I can't do something. So powerful, so powerful, and so important too to be able to overcome those barriers to be able to continually keep full moving forward. I'm curious what you know what drove him to have the gumption to have the the faith in himself to have the belief to keep moving forward regardless of how many obstacles continued showing up and you know what a beautiful result to be able to get to. But I, I wonder, I wonder what was that force? Was it faith? Was it you know, him having great mentors and cheerleaders around him? Was it him just yeah. not willing to, you know, to give up? When I have conversations with these types of people, I really get the notion that they start really believing in that if it isn't for them, that no one else may do it. And that it, they really have the responsibility to give it their all and to get it done or else it may never happen. And so I think having that type of feeling of, just stark responsibility is oftentimes the times when people get across that finish line. Hmm. The responsibility to keep moving forward. Yeah. Cause it's a, a, and, and, I, and I feel that way too, because I, I feel like with what I'm doing now mm -hmm. and I really feel like my supreme destiny as a person is being the connective tissue in a lot of ways between my networks and uh, just people that I really care about. Uh, and I feel like in a lot of scenarios, if I'm not the one to actively think about how I can bring these people together in a really meaningful and powerful way, then it may never happen. And I think once you start realizing that, uh, you just want to keep repeating it because you start seeing the results and you start feeling the reward of it and how beautiful those moments can be. And, and there was one story that uh, that my friend told me recently about an article he read on fungi. <laughs> That's actually, I feel like, a huge metaphor for my life. And I, I didn't know about this before. So what he said was, uh, so he's really into climate change and environmentalism, and he was saying that fungi is actually some of the most important organisms in the forest, if not the most important. And so he starts explaining how the fungi actually have this communication network amongst the trees. And what happens is they sense how much nutrients or a nutrient deficiency that a tree has, and then it communicates it with the other trees. And so what they're able to do is pump nutrients to the trees through this detection and communication network. Mm. And so if it weren't for the fungi, then they, they are basically the connective tissue within the forest to what I could understand. And they're kind of in the background. No one really notices them. They're not really getting in anybody's way. But they're there as a stabilizing force, the connective tissue, and 
oftentimes the most powerful thing that keeps everything else going in their lives and allows for the trees and everything else around them to shine. And after he told me that, and I think he was telling it to me as kind of like an interesting scientific side note, <laughs> but I, I really digested that for myself as like, this is the role that I want to play in the world. I want to be that connective tissue that maybe no one ever really notices, but because of me, everything else is now running much more powerfully and smoothly and beautifully because of that, if that makes sense. <laughs> what a beautiful analogy. Beautiful analogy. I love that. I, I really love that. The, the, yeah. The, the, the side joke that goes with it, to be considerably the, the fungi of the human species. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's a I mean, I'm going to have to come up with a better tagline. Correct. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could imagine the UN meeting starts. Yeah. Caroline stands up. I consider myself the fungus of the human community. I connect yeah. us all. And people would just stare blankly. Yeah. Yeah, that would be <laughs> Until I get they out. get it. And then once they get it, it makes sense. Um the right. na the name might change, but the the, the message yeah. underneath it is beautiful. I really love that. Being able to to take count on how people are doing and, and how much energy or how much uh, yeah. you know, love or, or connection they need and be able to sift that from different places and connect them to what they need most is, is a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. Beautiful thing. I just, I just feel like I've gone through so many just kind of happenstance, crazy moments mm -hmm. where I've met these really <clears throat> incredible people that the rest of the world don't really know about, doesn't really know about. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, it sounds kind of silly in some ways, but I really feel like I was almost destined to be that person who ultimately met that other person who's so much greater uh, and, and uh, has such a powerful voice and message and mission, and that it's my responsibility to magnify that. Um, and, and one of the most inspiring people that I wanted to share with you uh, today was this woman that I met, uh, Emmy Mahmoud. And we just met on a, on a plane, and it was one of those moments where we were both sitting in this uh, aisle of a plane, and there's no nobody sitting in between us. And uh, I just started talking to her. She she just looked like a really interesting person. She had kind of African uh, clothing on and a lot of jewels, and she was very young, and she wasn't you know doing anything else. And so we just started talking, and she started telling me that she's uh, originally from Sudan. And uh, she's writing something. And I'm like, oh, are you a writer? And she says she's a poet. I'm like, oh, how did you get into poetry? And she was like, well, do you want the long story or the short story? I was like, always the long story. <laughs> and so she starts telling me about her whole childhood and how she was born in Sudan. And basically that they had to flee the country because uh, there are all these protests and, and conflicts going on. And so her and her entire family was her as the oldest child. Uh, of six and her parents and they moved to the United States and they ended up uh, moving to right outside of Philly in the suburbs of Philly. Uh, and she started writing from a very early age as kind of a way for her to release a lot of her pains and fears and you know they're in a new country and she had no friends and, and she could hardly barely understand how to communicate and, and talk to other people. Uh, about you know where she had come from, and so she started writing, and specifically writing poetry. Um, and she became really, really good at it. She ended up getting a full ride scholarship to Yale, and she was the first in her family to get a scholarship to go to school anywhere. 
and she goes to Yale and she starts winning all of these poetry competitions and she ended up winning the International Grand Slam Poetry Competition uh, over in Europe. Uh, And this was a poem about her grandmother, uh, her grandmother that had passed away during some of the conflicts uh, in Sudan. And so senior year, she has no idea what she's going to do. Every, all of her other classmates are applying to jobs. And she's like, I'm a poet. I have no idea where it's going to take me in life. <laughs> and she gets a call one day from the UN. And they said, well, we want you to work with us. And she said, well, what am I going to do for the UN? I don't have any diplomatic experience. And they said, no, we want for you to be our poet. And so they start having this conversation, and basically they had asked her to be one of their ambassadors, and now she's flown all over the world to speak at major conferences, specifically in countries that are going through major conflict, and reciting her poems about peace, about inequality, about uh, equal rights and justice, and, you know, she's 23 years old. And so I'm sitting next to her on the plane. I'm like, wow, this girl is so impressive. And she's literally living the life. I mean, her passion is poetry. And she's so good at it. Clearly one of the best in the world today. And then now she's being flown all over the world to spread this message. How amazing is that? And so I asked her, well, what's next? (laughs) You know, it sounds like you have the whole world ahead of you. And she was like, well, you know, I'm writing this book and it's going to be published. And it's a collection of all my poems. But, you know, that's not what I'm really excited about. I'm actually really excited about this march I'm planning on doing. And I said, oh, what march are you doing? And she was like, well, she started telling me about how, you know, a lot of the protests that happen in Sudan, uh, you know, people get killed and people get jailed by their own government. And most of the time, they're just immediately shut down and there's just no such thing as peaceful protests in her country. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you know, I want to do the first peaceful protest in Sudan. And I really want to do a walk, a march from one side of the country to the other in peace. And whether it's by myself or whether it's with other people, I just want to prove that it's possible. And I was like, wow. And I just immediately started thinking, like, how is she going to do this? (laughs) As a 23-year-old girl, how is she actually going to be able to pull this off? But I could tell that when she was talking about it, there's just this pure gumption that she had, this pure confidence uh, in knowing that she would pull it off. And like I was saying before, if she wasn't the one to do it, then it, it would probably never happen. And so I started asking more questions about it. And I said, well, when are you going to do this? You know, how's it going to happen? Do you have security? <laughs> and she was like, well, I'm going to do it in January. And I was like, why January? And she was like, that's when Martin Luther King did his march. And I want to do it on his anniversary. And it's just going to happen. And so this was back in October that I had this conversation with her. And so we exchanged contact information. We exchanged all of our social media stuff. And she was like, yeah, keep track of what I'm doing because it's going to happen. I'd love for you to see it. (laughs) And so months passed by. I'm watching in January. I'm like looking through all my feeds, trying to see if there's any photos, if there's any news of this march that's happening, and there's nothing. And so I'm just thinking either it hasn't happened yet or something happened, you know, because there's just nothing about it. And I felt like the whole world would know at this point. And finally, a few weeks passed, and it's February, and I start seeing all these photos. And basically what had happened was She walked for 31 days straight across the country of Sudan, 
and she started by herself. And by the end of it, she had thousands of people walking with her. And I started seeing all these photos and I was, I think I was at my office. It was like 10, 10 o'clock in the morning one day. And I was just like so emotional about it. I was like, she did it. She did it. <laughs> and everybody else around me was like, what's happening? Who did what? And, you know, it was just something I couldn't even explain. And so I gave it a few more weeks and I finally called her. And I was like, when are we going to talk about this? I mean, like, tell me all about this experience. And so she finally comes and visits me to D.C. and she tells me how she pulls it off. And basically what she did was she started going around. She went, she ended up going to Sudan a month before the march. And she started going to all these villages and all these community centers within the villages as well as the schools. And she started kind of giving these recitals of her poems and started telling her story. And she didn't really tell anybody specifically what the march was or that she was really doing it but just really was sharing her message in terms of, I'm a young poet, I'm really trying to bring positivity into the world and bring people together through this cause and through my media, which is poetry. And people really started following her. And by the time she announced that she was starting her march, people were following her throughout this entire month. And so people just showed up and she started telling me about how halfway through the march, the government and the military started to intervene and they tried to almost even kidnap her. And, you know, at one point she fell and she really hurt her knee and she didn't know she was going to be able to continue the walk. But she just kept, she kept on going because I think, again, she was like, if I don't continue to do this, if I don't finish this, then no one else will. And so, anyway, she's telling me this whole story. And, of course, it's like that, that was the supreme destiny of her, her life thus far. I mean, I, I know she'll do much more amazing things as well, but... You know, to me, that story, it's the same with, like, Charlie and Emmy. You know, these are both people who literally had so many things against them from the very, very beginning where people shut doors in their faces. They had nothing when they were growing up. They just had a dream, and they had kind of a framework for a dream. It wasn't even something necessarily concrete, like, I will be an astronaut one day or I will go into space one day. But it just kind of happened as they kept building and they kept having this sense of responsibility that they had to own this thing, this vision, this fantasy that had to come true. And, you know, and it's just so beautiful knowing that these people were able to do that coming from so little. Um, and, and the last thing that I'll share on the Emmy piece was uh, when she came to visit me in D.C., we were on a walk and uh, we were in this park. And there's this parking lot and there are all these big cars there. We were just kind of commenting on how big these cars were. <laughs> and it's just like in America, it's like all these people drive these huge cars. And oftentimes it's just one person that owns it or, or drives it. And then we come across this like tiny little car. And she was like, but then there's this tiny little car and it's so ugly. And why would anybody want to squeeze into this tiny little car that looks so uncomfortable? It just doesn't make any sense. And so I go around to look at the car, and it's a Ferrari. And to me, what she had observed in that moment, you know, after she had told this amazing story of how she pulled off this march, it was the actual, like, metaphor for life. <laughs> because it's like all these people, they want these big cars or these fancy, tiny little cars that go really fast that have a name on it. But that that's not what makes life so great at all you know it, it's the stories of what she had to share 
and just even knowing someone like her is what make makes life so great and kind of ending that day with observing that just solidified everything for me and I, I feel so lucky to have even have met her on that plane and now to be sharing the story with all the amazing people that are listening to this. Mm. Such a powerful story, such a beautiful story. And again, it goes back to the same thing that you identified earlier, which was she was willing to start walking and willing to be the person who did it, regardless of, of challenges, willing to just start the momentum moving forward and allow things to pick up and, and begin on their journey. What a beautiful human to have crossed paths with. Yeah. How yeah. Neat. Here's a question for you. What's your what's your greatest fear? Um you know, I think as of recent, you know, time just goes by so fast. <laughs> so I just feel like I have I never have enough time to do everything that I want to. And I know this is just kind of a voice in the back of my mind that's just like, You need to do more, you need to do more. The day's almost over, the year's almost over and I think us as human beings, we kind of put these natural time clocks, you know, in our minds. And, uh, you know, I was actually reading this book recently uh, called It's All About Timing by Daniel Pink. Mm -hmm. And he did a great, I'm sure you read it, he did a great service by just researching all this timing stuff. And he talked to all these experts and read through all these papers and research. And uh, one of the interesting pieces that he wrote about was how people at the ages of 29, 39, 49, 59, those are the years that are kind of the most powerful years in a lot of often cases where people run the most marathons during those years. People get the most divorces. <laughs> people uh, get the most houses during that year. The most stuff happens in those years. And basically the point by sharing that was that people wait until that very year where they're like, oh my God, I'm about to turn 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever it is to do that thing that they've been holding back the entire time. Maybe it's two years, three years, or maybe it was the entire decade. And they're waiting for that last moment. And I think the question that he was asking that I really admired him asking was, you know, what if we didn't wait until that time? You know, what, what if we were proactive about actually realizing what our true obstacles are and what we truly want to get out of life and not waiting for that last moment. Um, and so, you know, I think there's ways that we can create those artificial uh, timelines for ourselves, whether we, you know, say at the end of this quarter, I want to make sure that I'm able to really think through how I'm achieving the things that I really wanted to achieve. And you kind of check in with yourself. And so as I think about my own fear with timing and that life is just going to pass me by and I won't, I, would, I didn't do half the things that I really wanted to do. Um, I'm trying to be a lot more cognizant about the balance between, you know, staying present, um, but then also checking in with myself and saying, you know, you actually did achieve a lot this past quarter or month or whatever it was, um, and just feeling good about that and, and being content with that and being okay with that. Hmm. Time is a very interesting thing. Very interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you have the time, I've got three more questions for you. Yeah. Let's see if we can squeeze these in real quick. One, what are you most excited about in your future? The unknown. You know, there's so many moments that happen, even in just 2018, that I would have never 
imagine would have happened, weren't even in the realm of possibility of things that I would have guessed would happen. And I think something that I started really believing as of recent was just kind of the power of good energy in the universe, just kind of allowing the things to happen if you have this good energy, both in your life as well as around you. And so I think in 2018, I was really kind of more focused on eliminating a lot of negativity in my life, whether it's relationships or things that were bothering me or things around me, and just focusing on the good energy. Um, and I think as soon as I started doing that, I just started realizing that all these things started coming in my way and, and paths started clearing. And it wasn't even necessarily something I was consciously doing on a day-to-day basis and saying, I want this thing to happen, so I have to get rid of this and that and, and make sure I just focus all my energy on this thing. It was just kind of the consciousness of just having good energy around me that allowed for those things to ultimately happen. And so uh, I want to continue on that journey. And I think uh, by doing that, things will just naturally come my way. And I, and I want to be more in that mindset and then not maybe plan too much about like this thing has to happen by this time and, and et cetera, et cetera. I like that. I like that. I like what you said too, eliminating a lot of the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Uh, my wife is a huge mm-hmm. fan of that concept. Um, we, we recently, we moved to Tampa. We bought a house. We were so excited. We decorated it and bought all this stuff, had a bunch of stuff in the garage. And then we decided it was time after a few years to move to our next spot. And so we left all mm-hmm. our furniture there. We rented our house out furnished to someone else. We cleared out all the stuff in the garage. The theory was if we haven't touched it in four years, we probably don't need it. <laughs> that all went away. Mm-hmm. And we, we cut everything we needed down to probably like seven or eight, eight, eight boxes maybe. And so now we've yeah. we moved to San Diego with our eight boxes and had everything we needed. Uh, we moved back to Miami nine months later with our eight boxes. And, and every time we move, we try to get rid of one of the boxes. And, and I figure if we can keep yeah. whittling it down to what we actually just need, it's very, very yeah. freeing. And then, like you said, it yeah. opens up the opportunity where you have so much yeah. flexibility. Like you, you can move yeah. anywhere. You can do anything. There's nothing weighing you down or tying you or holding yeah. you or anchoring you to any one spot in life, which is really nice. Yeah. And I think, too, you start realizing how replaceable things are like things that maybe you thought wow if I've ever lost this thing it would be such a pain to try to recoup that and uh, I just went through this experience recently it is a small experience but it just kind of reminded me how replaceable things are and how much you don't really need in life where uh, the other day my car got broken into and it was the first time that it ever happened I literally went inside a coffee store saw my friend talked to her and I was inside the store for like 20 minutes and then I come back out, it's broad daylight, and there's glass everywhere, and my purse is gone. And it had my laptop, my wallet, and everything inside. And, you know, of course, the default is like, wow, this is going to be such a pain. <laughs> and as I went through the day, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I really don't need a lot of the things that were even in there. And you start realizing that you really aren't as attached to them as maybe you had thought. And it's so easy to get a replacement on a laptop and to get new credit cards and all that type of stuff. And it just kind of gave you that humbleizing feeling in in terms of understanding now that you don't have to be so attached to those types of things. And then I think also humans get so wrapped up into the doom of, well, what if something like that happens, you know? (laughs) And oftentimes they spend so much time preparing for the doom and thinking about the doom happening. 
and not as much being in the present moment, just thinking about all the beautiful things that are in their lives, that they're not really able to appreciate, you know, the present day. And so that, that whole experience, I was, you know, it just took a matter of hours to kind of get all my files back and to get set up again. And it was a really humbling experience and just knowing that us as humans today in the 21st century, especially people who are as loved as we are, um, we really don't have to be as attached to a lot of these things. It's, it's true. One of, one of the worst yet most beautiful things that happens every so often is when a big fire blazes through a city. It's the worst because mm. it takes away all the stuff that people were so attached to. But on the other side of it, mm-hmm. it's the best because people come together, they love on each other, and you always hear the same phrase. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost all yeah. our stuff, but we realized we have what really matters. We have each other. We yeah. have this moment. Yeah. We have our health. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah. wow. And, and the beauty yeah. of it is it brings us back to realizing what really matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, you know the sad part is all our stuff disappears, but eh, insurance happens or stuff happens and we get some of it back. Right. Right. You know, that reminds me when I was, and I hadn't even thought of this until I just started thinking about this with you, which is uh, when I was living in Taiwan when I was really little, there are all these earthquakes that would happen. And these weren't like super major earthquakes or anything, but there are big enough earthquakes where, you know, sometimes all the dishes would come flying out of your drawers and that sort of thing. <laughs> and it was always kind of this running joke where it was like this thing that was like, yeah, all of our dishes broke and all of our glasses broke, but we had each other. And all the people within our apartment building, we would literally get around and just kind of laugh about it with each other because like, we're like, oh, well, there goes our favorite pottery again, you know, but we were, we were just, we were so, it was like a joke. And it was that great reminder that, this kind of stuff can happen once a quarter and an earthquake will, you know, literally smash all your stuff, but we have each other and we were there together and had the ability to laugh about it together. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful mm-hmm. when that happened. And again, it sucks to have to lose the stuff. It's never fun. It's like, ah, crap, there it goes. Right. But <laughs> to be able to sit on the other side and find the beauty in it is, is the game changer. And I think, I, I wish the bad thing didn't have to happen for people to get to experience the beauty of that. I know. Um, but for some reason, it's it's kind of the precursor to those moments in life. Okay, yeah. last couple questions. We'll switch gears. We call this section nuts and bolts or the tactical, tangible, applicable, applicable stuff someone could immediately take and apply to what they're doing. And that there's just three quick questions here. The first is, where do you currently focus the majority of your thoughts and time and life each day as of right now? Forward progress. I love that. And I, and I say forward progress without planning too much ahead. I think there's a, a fine balance you have to strike in both trying to be as much in the present moment as well as trying to plan for the future. Uh, and I think there's no right answer. It, it may be different every single day. But I think, you know, being just cognizant of where you want to get to and having a general framework for what that looks like uh, will be good for forward progress. Absolutely. What is one key to your success with consistent forward progress? Trust. Hmm. Trust in yourself, trust in the system, trust in other people. Trust. I love that. And what is one actionable tip that can help others experience the kind of success in their life that you've been able to create in yours? People say this all the time, but I really do believe it's true. It's just 
believing in yourself. I, I think once you, you know, I was, I was uh, reading some articles about some people uh, who have won Oscars or who have, you know, now in positions where they would have never guessed that they would be in. And what they would oftentimes do, and I think what a lot of people do, is they kind of have these fantasies of what that would look like. <laughs> and so, you know, whether it's in their, their, you know, rehearsing their Oscar speech in the shower, or they're thinking about what it would be like to win this award, or to get a, you know, to have a best-selling book, they start thinking about those things and fantasizing about them from a very early age or from very early on. And what you start seeing happening is that those things start coming true. Um, and, I, and I think it's because it wasn't necessarily this overconfidence that they had, but they started really believing that they could get to that point by actually thinking through the steps of what that would even look like in their minds. And I think as soon as you start painting that picture, the really vivid picture of what that could actually be, it makes you want it even more. <laughs> and that, that sometimes can be the greatest boost of energy and motivation that you need. And so I think starting to go down the path of saying, I could do something and I can do this thing and start painting that picture and fantasizing about it, that could be some of the best brainstorming you could ever do. I love that. I very much love that. Well, Caroline, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to join us. Thank you for sharing so many stories and so much of what you're up to with us. Uh, if people are interested to know mm -hmm. more or where they could find those stories you were talking about, the interviews, uh, where do they yeah. go to find more about you? Where do they go to listen to some of those interviews? Yeah. So for the interviews, uh, it's called My DC Story, all one word, and it's on an Instagram page. Uh, we're also going to be launching a website, uh, and I do a lot of my stuff on Instagram, um, so Caroline underscore Pew, and then my DC story. I love it. So Caroline underscore Pew, and that's P-U-G-H for Pew. Yeah. Um, and then what was the second one? My DC story. My DC story. Very cool. Well, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. And for everyone tuning in, if you like what you heard here, if you enjoyed this episode, you know someone who needs to hear it, a friend, a family member, a peer, uh, we believe that sharing is caring. We like caring people around here, so make sure to share. And we very much look forward to seeing you all next episode.